Hi, I'm Dr. Hilary Lampers, co-founder of Stealthy Nutrition. Today we're going to talk about our CBD tincture. This is a great tasty mint flavored tincture. This bottle has about a thousand milligrams of CBD in it. Uh, the tincture as compared to our full spectrum soft gels is broad spectrum, meaning there's no detectable THC in this. Of course, you can find all our COAs for each product under the product description if you're interested in seeing what is and isn't in the product. For those who are sensitive to THC, let's say, in a full spectrum product, this would be great for you. For those who are looking to titrate their doses down from 25 milligrams, which our capsules are, each dropper full is 33 milligrams. So if you only want to take 5, 10, 15 milligrams, you can do that with a tincture. A tincture is also faster acting. So if you need it right now, you need it to work faster than a soft gel that has to go through digestive tract, that has to go through the digestive tract, then a tincture is great for you. The Tasty Mint, we love to put it in tea, we put it in coffee and hot chocolate. It's a great little treat and a great way to take your CBD. It also helps with the endocannabinoid system, exactly like the full spectrum hemp. And it helps to support things like mood, decreasing anxiety, and balancing pain or inflammation in the body. We recommend one half to one dropper full per day to start if you're starting with this tincture and taking it every day at the same time. You can also mix and match it with soft gels if that's something you wanted to try or have it on hand when you know you need some immediate help, right? And you need to feel better right now. You can also subscribe and get a bottle sent to you every month. So make sure to check that out along with any bundles where you can bundle it with other products. Hello everybody, welcome back to the Hunt Harvest Health podcast. Doc Hillary here. Well, it's been an interesting month in our household. Uh, Ryan got COVID. I think that was the last podcast I put out. And then I got COVID about seven days later, right on the dot. Um, and it's a very interesting story. Um, kind of ups and downs for both of us. And I think we're probably going to do a podcast on it. And then maybe that'll be the last time we ever talk about COVID. <laughs> I don't know. Um so this podcast I recorded actually about a week after starting COVID. And as you can probably hear in this podcast, I was actually doing pretty good. And I went back to the, the next week and that's kind of when everything fell apart. But this podcast I've wanted to do for a while. Um, Iris Gardner is, I consider her, you know, she's kind of a good distant friend. I've only met her once in person and that was in 2019. She's been on the podcast um before. And I followed her long before I knew her on Instagram, uh, because she used to have a CSA farm in San Diego. And somehow I got on her page and just loved her stuff. And then we got connected that way. And then, um, yeah, we've, we've, we've been friends. She lives in Northwest Washington. So kind of up by the Idaho side, and she lives on some a family property that she grew up on. Her parents used to be homesteaders, like real homesteaders living off the grid. So if you want to learn more about Iris and her actual life, you, the podcast that she was on way back was 89 and 90. But this one, I, I had her come on because I saw one of her Instagram posts one day and she'd written a list of 10 things that she wanted to bring into the new year. 
And I thought, oh, that would be a great podcast topic to talk about. And at the time, a lot of those things were very relevant for me in my life as well. And I think when you listen to this podcast, they're probably relevant for all of us. Uh, We did not get to all 10 because 10 points when you're talking about some of these deep things, it just takes a while. But this is really just a meandering podcast where Iris and I give thoughts on different aspects of um, the post that she wrote. And so I hope it's helpful for you for the new year. Um, Anything that comes from Iris, I would definitely go follow her. She's on Instagram at all the wild places. Anyways, um, yeah, we haven't done much for the last month. We've been home and just trying to get healthier. I'm I'm getting ready right now next week to launch our first gut reset group in February. So to all of those of you who have signed up for that, it's going to be a lot of fun. All right, everybody enjoy this podcast. Go give Iris a follow on Instagram and have a wonderful week. Well, I wanted to get you on the podcast again because you were on, let's see, we did 89 and 90. I think those I did two pod. Well, I came That's to your place and a few did years. a podcast. It has been. It was 2019, the summer of 2019. Um, I remember that trip. Speaking of like pandemic, (laughs) that was the trip that I went to a wedding over on the west side and we drove back through your place and my little one had had the vomiting flu Mm. for a week and then my older daughter got sick at the wedding that night vomited all over the like kids room at the bottom and then we drove home and we stopped at your place I don't know if you guys got it we slept in the schoolhouse and I I think everyone was fine by then you guys didn't get anything we got home and a week later Ryan got it and spent a week vomiting and so that was like I I just remember that trip it was like whatever that little bug was it just followed us around and uh god you know that's the one thing about traveling it's like Traveling is so fun, except for the traveling part. Yeah. It's like something eventually always gets you, whether it's COVID, <laughs> whether it's a flu, whether it's a stomach bug. It's like when you have kids, I feel like. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I remember that trip. So, yeah, that was uh, 2019. And I had followed you for a while on Instagram and your farm in San Diego. And uh, yeah, we hit it off. And then, of course, you are like, I love your writing. Like you write so much and I, um, on Instagram, you put so much good stuff on there and you had posted some 10 things kind of like, um, that you had written down. I think it was the new year and Mm -hmm. I think we're all going through that. I know for myself, I'm going through this kind of metamorphosis. I think like the whole post COVID thing. And then just like where are we going from here and um it's just that time of year too when you're thinking of a new year and you're thinking about where you want to go and you know I'm also going to be 49 this year so it's also I think a hormonal time too for especially women where we start coming into this different stage of our life um and the sandwich generation as well, you know, parents getting older, and then we still have young children, even though we're like, I should have grandchildren right now. I have like <laughs> young children. And I think you think a lot about your life. And um, so you had written these 10 things down on Instagram. And I think I texted you and said, Do you want to be on the podcast? <laughs> 
And I think it'd be a great kind of January thing to talk about some of these things you had written about yeah. only because I love your writing and yeah, um, you. you're a you're like a deep thinker you're I think you um spend a lot of time thinking and actually writing it down and expressing through that where a lot of people don't necessarily yeah. take the time to do that yeah I guess I I do I do think about things a lot but I don't think about them in like a obsessive manner Mm -hmm. writing down things that I think about. I think deeply about things. I write it down and then I move, <laughs> I move on from it. You know, I don't, because a lot of times that people spend a lot of time in their head, they're spending a lot of time in their head kind of rattling around all this stuff with sort of, um, I spend time in my head maybe with more intention where it's like, let me think this through, write it down and then move on to something else. Well, a lot of the stuff you've written is very poignant. It's great to read. Uh, and again, like I said, I think it would be kind of fun to go through your list. I don't know if these are things you want to talk about or anything like that, but maybe sure. just slanting this towards, you know, New Year's and like, what are the things that obviously are important to you? And um, I think this year is going to be a big, like kind of, I feel like in my life, I have a lot of like my physical stuff down. Like I've got my exercise down. Um, I worked really hard for well, COVID's helped with that. I mean, I've spent a lot of time at home. And so I was like, okay, I want to be physically in good shape at my age. I want to feel good. Um, I've worked on my sleep. I've worked on kind of the basics of, of, you know, taking care of myself, which in the past is my thing was just run myself ragged and not sleep good and you know maybe yeah. exercise here and there and so I've really changed a lot of that since COVID it's kind of COVID just kind of chilled everybody the f out like boom, uh, you had to be home and like you had to so I feel like I've worked a lot on that but like I said I think I'm coming into a different stage emotionally and um you know a lot of the things you kind of had on your list here I think struck me because they're more strategic in kind of the emotional mental realm um, that I think a lot of us need, especially right now with the fear thing going on. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah. Do you want to chat about that? We, yeah. How do we start this? Yeah. Okay. Do it. Um, so you had number one on your list was don't complain. Uh, <laughs> that's a hard one. So hard so hard um maybe you can elaborate on that a little bit well it's our natural go-to I think right it's so easy to complain about everything we see fault with so much stuff and flaws with so many things and so many people and I don't know why that seems to be the natural state of operating as a human being um but it's not a healthy way to be and you're just putting out, I don't know, I, I've gotten to believe in that we put out this sort of orb of energy around us. And I'm not, not meaning that in sort of a weird way, but you know, people's energy, you, if, if your husband is in a bad mood, chances are you're going to be in a bad mood really quickly. Right. Like right. you just, that energy just goes off of each other. And, um, so when you're complaining, 
you're putting out negativity around you. And that's, that's it. And then, so not only you are, are in that negative energy state, you're, you're giving it to everyone else that comes in contact with you as well. And it's sort of a little dose of poison that you're handing out to everybody and to yourself. And so, um, just becoming aware of what's coming out of your mouth more than anything, because if it's coming out of your mouth, it's also in your head and it's, it's toxic to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so it takes some mindfulness. It takes actually stopping and thinking a minute before you say something. Um, and then just ask yourself with everything that comes out of your mouth, am I complaining? And if you, for one day, if you try to do that, <laughs> catch everything that you say, am I complaining? And a lot of times you're like, well, I'm just venting or I'm frustrated or, you know, we, we kind of, we okay it by I'm just venting about this or whatever. And, and I get that we do need a little bit of space to, to vent. Sometimes you just have to get something out and then you're like, okay. But if that ends up being a significant amount of your time, or it's just, you know, venting, 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 venting. Um, just, just try to catch yourself in it. Stop yourself after each thing you say to somebody, because personally I can feel it. I can feel, I'll say something, I'll be talking, maybe, you know, I'm talking to Jason about some person and I, all of a sudden I'll kind of stop myself and be like, Oh, I don't like the way I'm feeling right now as I'm saying this. And then I realize I'm just complaining about this person. And it's actually, maybe that person has all those problems and it's, it's all valid, but me thinking it and voicing it out loud to somebody else is just a little bit of, of poison myself. And so really, if you can just, you know, you, you have to detach from it all a little bit and try to catch yourself in that stuff. And pretty soon you'll realize that you don't actually care that much. It's not something that's worth throwing your energy off because somebody did something. Just, just let it go. I have this, um, I have where I try to sort of, uh, visualize myself as being translucent. So when someone throws their negativity towards me, it just sort of goes right through and keeps on going. And that's a way, instead of like hitting me and, and sticking. And um, when you can, when you can sort of process it like that, that it just, cause negativity is coming at you all the time from other people. And when you just let it go through and keep on going pretty soon, you start to realize that, Hey, life is fine. I don't need to get caught up in all of this negativity of everyone complaining about everything. That's why COVID like it doesn't, honestly, I don't care. I've had the decision. I've been through it, worked through it. Um, I am vaccinated. I don't want to get it again. Um, I've, I've made decisions for myself and then I'm, I'm done with it. I'm fine. I, everybody can think what they want about it. It doesn't really affect me. I, I don't have that much um, interest or input in it anymore because I don't feel like I have to just always be complaining about how the government's trying to screw us over or these people want us to do this or this. It's all complaining. It's all negativity. And I don't need it in my life. Yeah, that can be a hard one, I think, too, because what I've noticed in my own life is um, 
So I've noticed that my pattern, and this will be a little bit of counseling session for everybody. <laughs> uh, I've thought about your list a lot, actually, since you wrote it down. I've wrote it down and I've kind of thought about each one and trying to apply it just to myself. Because, you know, mm -hmm. the thing about like telling other people what to do is kind of an interesting place to be in life. Like I'm a physician, so people come to me for like help and they come yeah, to me for yeah. guidance and they want you know I have to have certain level of expertise like we take your labs I've got to be able to interpret those I've got to be able to constructively create something out of whatever this information tells me and then I also have to like deal with people and they're complaining I mean people will mm -hmm. literally come into me and they'll be like I'm so sorry I'm complaining to you and what I will say is, you're not complaining, like, this is my job. You're coming to me as a trusted provider. You really should be complaining to me because I need to know what's going on with you, right? Like, obviously, if there's a lot of emotional, mental issue stuff going on here, and we need to find you some resources to help you deal with that, if that's all this is about, you know, but physically, people have problems. And in a lot of times, I notice in their life, they can't complain or they don't feel like anybody's listening to them. And so they'll complain and complain because they're trying to get attention. And it's not like they even realize they're doing it because now they don't necessarily feel like they have anyone who listens to them or they can confide in or whatever. Or they were just really taught never to talk about themselves and never to, it was always a complaint. So I've noticed that in my work as people will come in and they will apologize for complaining to me and I'll just say don't worry about it just say whatever you want and I'm just gonna take what I need from this conversation and hopefully we can help you get better right like that's that's my job yeah but in my own personal life um I find that it uh when I'm when it's me and uh, because I'm in a caretaker role um and I think I think women are like this too just more because the children and just child raising and just the way women are in general and the way our brains work is we're kind of always on and we're always multitasking and we're always thinking about not just ourselves we're thinking about like the house the kids the the bills the this and that and and, and so we have a lot on our brain all the time and if we feel stressed out or if we feel like we're not getting the support we need maybe we're not getting the time off that we need we're not getting time for ourselves or nobody's listening to us. We feel like that, right? Like nobody's asking you how your day is. Nobody seems to really care about like what you did all day long. They just like, where's my food? And why don't I have this? And mom, where's my jeans that I probably wadded up in my closet? Like, it's like, you know, you, you just get like, so the reflex is to complain. It's mm -hmm. like, because what it does is it's like this little call for help. Like, I need attention. I need someone to pay attention to me. So I'm just going to complain about something like, why aren't the dishes done? Or why am I doing this? Why do I have to do this? You know, or complaining about what's not great or what's not this, what's not, what's not finished, what's not perfect. And I find that we tend to do that more with people like that are really close to us because I can't go to work and like complain all day to my patients, they're going to be like, excuse me, right? Like, so you're, you kind of have this and then you go into your private life where you, you want to have that downtime. You want to have people help you and take care of you. And sometimes it turns into complaining 
because really what you're asking for is like somebody to notice somebody to notice that mm. there are not things and I think that we get taught really young and I try to work on this because I don't want my girls to think like to get what you want you need to complain yeah. right that what you're just saying is I think what you want to teach your kids is like if you need something whether it be an emotional thing a, a, a mental thing like you need to ask for it. Like you need to be strong yeah. enough and confident enough to ask for what you need and not to complain because people's brains, like they kind of like shut off. Right. And I've noticed that with my husband, I've noticed that even with my kids, like if I'm in a complaining mode, it's like, I'm not yeah, going to get what I want. I'm not getting what I want. Found it. Yeah. So I know that like, I know that in my own personal life, that can be the, the direction I take when I feel like I'm not getting what I need and not getting the support that I need. And so the complaining just kind of naturally starts. I think in my life as a kid, like, um, it was just kind of a, a way, like my mother never complained. My mother just was one of those, mm. she's the opposite, <laughs> codependent, yeah. never really talks about herself never talked about her problems um didn't want to worry you I don't want to worry you I don't want to worry because she's a chronic worrier but in some sense it kind of taught you like well I need to get attention and I'm just gonna let everybody know I have a problem <laughs> and that's so a that really was- that's a really great that's a really great point and um in in just it's, it's built up frustration is what it is. Yeah. It's frustration that things aren't going the way you want them to be that I think leads to most complaining. And if you're complaining because, you know, the kids haven't done the dishes and you've asked everybody to fold their laundry and nobody has, and you know, it's all this stuff, it's all the stuff. It's like, it's time to make some kind of change. Something isn't working right. because you're, you have all this built up frustration and that comes from things not working. Um, so then it's, it's a really important time to look at like, why is it, why, why am I frustrated? And, and like you said about, um, about so often women will just, they're, they're always on, they're doing all this stuff, but they're not actually clearly saying, this is what I need from you. Oftentimes it comes out in passive aggressive ways, you know, wire and um, it's, it's little jabs and things like that. Instead of laying out for your family, maybe a a clear, concise plan of this is what I need. Everyone's going to be happier if mom is happy, right? Like, and that doesn't mean necessarily that mom gets to go to the spa. It just means that like, we all have responsibility in life to keep, keep the house up, keep the chores up, keep whatever up in that, in that reference, um, in a family life. And you have to actually hold them to those expectations and then, you know, set those expectations and hold them to it. And then all of a sudden that frustration is gone because everyone is actually carrying their weight. Mm-hmm. but just sort of never saying what you actually need 
and letting it build up and build up in a relationship in in with your children with everything with your with your job it's always going to build up into a problem that you're then going to be complaining about mm-hmm. so it, it it all comes down to communication you have to say what you need and be clear about it i think you know the whole communication thing is like you know that even like in a relationship, like communications foundationally, like the most important thing. So you, you know that like, yeah, you know, logically, you know that in your head, but I, I think we, so many people literally have no role models for communication. They don't understand what that means. Like they, they like, I know we need to communicate better. All right, well, who's going to take the first step and communicate better? Because neither of us know how to communicate worth crap. Like we, we, a lot of times people are reacting from that place, put in them when they were little or like what they observed in their life and what they were exposed to and what conflict conflicts they've had in their life and what other kind of relationships they've had. And, and so that whole thing of like communication is key. It is like, it is the most important key, but what does that mean to the people in your life and what is their communication style? You know, it's funny. I I learned with my daughter, my older daughter, when she was really young. So I homeschooled her for a little while. We homeschooled, which is a tough job. Let me tell you, all you homeschool parents, geez, my hat's off to you. Um, especially when they're little. As they get older, it gets a little easier. But boy, when they're little, it's difficult. And it, I just had one kid at the time. It's even harder. You know, I've got seven kids. It's a little easier than <laughs> one, actually, to tell you the truth. Yeah. I realized with my daughter, if you were teaching her something, if you touched her, like you just put your hand on her back or touched her arm or whatever, rubbed her back while she was learning something or reading something, she learned it way better. Hmm. Now, that is not a verbal con- con- communication. That's not verbal communication from me. I'm not telling her like, you know, you need to read a certain way and you need to learn it this way. Like I was just like, okay, let's learn this. And I noticed that if you touched her, she's very kinesthetic and she would learn easier. She would grasp it easier. Her brain would do that. So it's interesting that people have different ways of communicating, you know, it's kind of like the old love languages book or, you know, some people like to talk. Other people don't like to talk. They like action. They like to do things through action. Some people need touch. They, they need that. Like if you're in a fight with your spouse and touches like your kinesthetic and your spouse doesn't even touch you and they don't respond to you or they don't come hug you or they don't, they don't touch you and make you feel like we're going to get through this. It's going to be okay. Right. They're the person who was taught you either leave the situation, you leave the room, go hide, go run away, um, uh, remove yourself from the danger. Right. Mm -hmm. Like you were taught that way. You, you, um, and you, and you have a partner who's like needs for you to just come up to them and hug them and say, it's okay. I hear you. I love you. We're going to get through this or just not even say anything, literally walk up and hold their hand while they're talking to you. It will radically change the way in which that person is communicating with you, what they need. And we just don't learn that about people in our lives. Like we have to take such an active role and like, what is it that my, my person, whether it's a parent, a spouse, a child, 
a friend, what do they need in communication that's going to help us better communicate? Do they need me to hold their hand? Do they need me to create action, create a plan for them? Like, that's what I'm good at. I'm a doctor. So like, mm-hmm. let's create action. Let's make a plan. That's how I've always been like with people kind of like there's a problem. I'm going to solve it. Let's solve that problem. That doesn't always work for some people. You know, some people just want to come in and they literally want to cry and they just want to tell you all their problems. And if you just sit there and listen to them, you don't interrupt them and you let them talk. And at the end you say, I totally understand. I'm so sorry. You know? Yeah. And I, you know, we can work on this, but I, I hear you. And are you just hold their hand? It just radically changes how they heal and how they respond to you. So I'm still learning that. Like I'm, I'm learning like the communication process about these things is actually what's most important. And if you're just complaining all the time, you're not observing the people around you and you're not observing what they need. So if if complaining is what you're trying to do to get attention, Mm -hmm. maybe what you should do is observe people around you and how they need to be communicated to and then they may respond better to you. Like, it's like, I go up to my daughter, she's having a hard time or she's learned something. I put my hand on her back. It's like, I'm here for you. I'm here. Let's work it out. That's really interesting about how communication is so physical too. It's not just mm-hmm. verbal. Mm-hmm. Um, you're just yeah. your body language when you're talking to somebody says so much about your intent and um, whether you're, you're, trying you know you're projecting being confident strong or whether you're (laughs) being sad or you know there's so many different things about our body language yeah okay so iris i'm gonna ask you a question here because you know we could go down this rabbit hole but i think this is a really (laughs) interesting conversation i don't know if anybody has ever accused you of something like just the way you act or something like and, and you of course don't see it that way so I'll share like kind of my experience with you. Maybe you Mm -hmm. have an experience like this. I tend to be very passionate about things. The way I talk, the way I communicate, I get excited. I'm like an excitable person. I'm not like my husband who's kind of like this. He's just not an excitable person, okay? So you can imagine when him and I are trying to have a conversation. And it's, let's say it's a conversation about, I don't know, um, what color to paint the wall, you know? Okay. Like I'm excitable. I kind of want what I want and I like to communicate that way. And I talk like this and I'm sort of, to me, to me, it seems like I'm, I'm motivated. Well, to him, it seems like I'm sort of intense and pushy, Mm -hmm. right? He's like, do you hear the tone in your voice? And I'm like, what are you talking about? This is how I talk. <laughs> He's like, do you hear the tone in your voice? No, you're not. You're being pushy now. And I'm like, I am? Oh, yeah. And you're being too intense. And so we can't make this decision because you need to calm down and you're being too pushy. And you, you, you know what I mean? And I'm thinking to myself, well, really? I'm just really excited about this color that I want to put on the wall. And I don't know why you can't just get excited along with me and get just more excited. Yet to him, I'm being pushy and I'm being intense. 
And so when it comes to the argument of like, you are sometimes, you are who you are, like how, how, where is that place where you suddenly just wake up and you're like, I'm not going to be intense today. I'm just going to be totally mm-hmm. chilled out. Nothing's going to bother me. I'm going to have this perfect tone in my voice that makes me sound like mm-hmm. I am not, you make your decision. I don't care. I'm just going to sit here and be, I don't know. That is like, that's the most frustrating thing about yeah. communication because somebody who's like me, let's say a patient who comes in and they're like me, they like this style. They, ah, yeah, let's work on this. Let's, uh, people who are like, no, I don't like that. That's too pushy or don't tell me what to do. Or why are you talking to me in that tone? Why are you getting so excited about this? You know what I mean? Um, or maybe you think I'm getting mad and I'm not getting mad. I'm just expressing how I feel in a more voice can can be just huge in things right but what you're saying like I I think I'm being one way but I'm projecting something else out to people yeah and then you get accused of like well you're just too intense like people don't want to be around you because you're too intense and I'm like I am and then you're trying to think of like, okay, how do I not be intense? And that's the, I think that's the hardest thing about the communication style is that everybody is very different in how they actually perceive uh, emotion. And so what is your, also your like threshold for certain emotions? Can you handle intense people that like t- tend to be more emotionally overly emotional about things um are you not showing enough emotion so the people around you think you really don't give a shit about anything like you don't care you know um but I know in my life I've definitely been accused of being overly intense overly pushy and I really don't want to be like that I mean I don't want people to perceive me like that you know um yeah part of that is their perception too it's like the you know, there's stuff about how girls are always called bossy. Yeah. Or, you know, that certainly used to be a very common phrase with girls. Oh, she look at her. She's being so bossy. And which is another word for being pushy. Um, But oftentimes, you know, that comes from feeling like you're not heard or listened to and try, you know, women have a lot that they want to say, but oftentimes they're overlooked in conversations and stuff. So some women develop the that pushiness, like you are going to hear me, you are, you know, this is how I'm going to be. This is what I want to do. And, you know, it also falls back on the person who's perceiving it. Like, are they just telling themselves something that is not who you actually are? You've got two conflicting personalities. One comes across a little intense. The other is reading it as like, well, I don't like being told what to do. Right. Who is wrong here? You know, no, no one is necessarily wrong. It's just how we've been sort of conditioned to to label people, I think, is mm-hmm. you're this way, you're that way. And taking a broader picture of like everybody is a very unique personality. And really what we need to do is not not um get offended 
immediately by by what they say, not take offense to what they're saying or the tone that they're saying it with, because that's where you start to have problems, right? Well, you just talked to me in the wrong tone and now I can't talk to you. Right. You're, you're being, you're taking offense. Right. The, like, the, the wall comes down. Yes. And I think that's the other thing is sometimes you have to know when to stop. Um, because you, I mean, you know, in your life, when the wall comes down for you or for whoever you're arguing with or whatever, whoever you're having the conversation with, if the wall comes down, it's probably best to just kind of walk away and take a break and regroup and whatever, because if the wall comes down, then it just kind of goes sideways really quick. And Again, back to that whole thing of communication, that's the key to like everything. And so many of us, um, we don't even realize how we communicate and we try to assess other people and what they're not doing and what they're not giving us and what their communication is like. When what I've learned with myself through very like inner work is that it usually comes back to you. Like it comes back always comes back to you and to the work you need to do. So um, we're all a work in progress, right? So that's the thing where people need to give themselves a little grace for that. Like you're not, maybe you do come across as pushy. Maybe, maybe every person is going like, Oh, I don't know. You know, that, that Hillary, (laughs) she's just so pushy. (laughs) And you know actually need to like think about why am I saying you know why is it that this way that I say something is is sitting wrong with people but maybe it's just a few people that are like ah you're being pure enthusiasm and engage and if you read body language a little bit you can probably tell that and if it's just a few people that are like you're being pushy it, it, it probably well you obviously need to to figure out how to interact with them with that particular person in a different way. It doesn't mean that you have to change your whole persona to, to make everyone happy because it's one of those things like you need to be happy. You are, but you also need to be aware of what you're projecting out into the world. You can be a total asshole and walk around going, well, I'm an asshole and everyone just needs to deal with it. Your life's not going to be better. If that's how you act, you do sometimes have to adjust yourself for other people. You do sometimes have to look in the mirror and go, maybe being an asshole isn't going to benefit me in life. Maybe it's going to make people turn away from me. People not be there to help me when I need help. You know, there's consequences to everything that we do. And what you're putting out is is going to have consequences that come back. So you ha- it's that fine line of like adjusting yourself a little bit, but not throwing your whole persona out in the trash and going, well, you know, I just, I have to be this different person to make everyone else happy or like yeah. me. And girls, I think oftentimes have fallen into that trap of like, for whatever reason, they, they feel like they have to present an image that isn't actually them for everyone to like. And then to you leading this sort of false life, which leads to all kinds of emotional issues and stuff, because it's not genuinely you. Um, 
Yeah, I I think it's so like I just think human nature is so intriguing. It's always probably why I got into medicine in general, but it's also really fatiguing. You know, it's like hmm. you you have these days where you're just like, oh, God, you know, I I got my own shit I need to deal with like all the time. And then I got to go to work and I've got to kind of take my stuff and just kind of right. And then all day, week after week, month after month, year after year, you're you're seeing these. But the best thing about that job is that you see so much of yourself in other people sometimes mm -hmm. and you see like what's not serving other people. You also see what makes people sick and you, it's a, it's kind of, it's like a blessing at the end of the day when you drive home and you have that, like, you know, I have about a 40 minute drive. So it's like, you have a little bit of a dump of what happened that day and what you heard. And it's like how much, you know, trying not to take any of that on. I've learned a long time ago, you got to not do that or you'll make yourself sick. But, you know, hearing people's stories and, um, and just realizing like human nature and that the, the emotional human, um, uh, trauma is like, you know, it's, it's a great, um, it's amazing. And at the same time, it's amazing that we get through life as long as we do yeah. and that we have relationships, some of us for a long time, you know, and that we, um, change is like that kind of constant inevitable thing that you just have to, I think, lean into all the time. And if you're not good at change, this is where I see a lot of people struggle. I'm all about change. Like, that's my middle name. I do bad when there's no change. Like I cannot be stagnant. It like almost kills me. It's kind of, and it's probably part of my personality. That's why I tend to be <clears throat> intense in that stuff is because I'm always seeking out new experience and, and change mm -hmm. in my life. Cause I feel like I'm not growing if I'm not having that. And I think as I get older now and I kind of go into this, like menopausal stage of my life it's probably gonna I feel like I'm starting to slow down a little bit and maybe back off on some of that like you know letting things just kind of be and not having to fix them not having to like plow forward and you know um, make sure everybody knows what I think and you know that intensity yeah. I think yeah. that's kind of becoming my lesson as I get older um is just relaxing and I'm always intrigued by people who are so kind of centered and calm that way you know, um, well, and going back to communication, if there's one gift you can give your children, mm -hmm. teaching them how to have good communication mm -hmm. will benefit them immensely in life. Like mm -hmm. it will smooth every path before them. If they can communicate with people, with, with their work, their spouse, their kid, with everybody. And, um, one little trick that we do around here is, um, and I don't have necessarily a, a set every every week, every Wednesday, every whatever that we do it, but we have family meetings pretty frequently. Anytime to me, it seems like anything just gets a little bit off. It's like, okay, fam we, family meeting. And that's where, and sometimes it'll be like, it might be three times in a row. And sometimes it might be a month and we don't have one because everything's running smoothly. But bringing the kids to the table and part of the adult discussion, kids feel like they don't have any power, right? Kids just, mm -hmm. it's, 
really difficult for them. They don't feel, especially someone like my daughter, who is really a strong, strong-willed person. And she would like to have power, but she doesn't have any because she's a kid. And giving her a seat at the table and an open platform to say her grievances, say what she thinks maybe we could do better as a family, how, you know, we can solve some problems together, how it's like, it's opening up lines of communication between everyone in your family where you're all sort of at the same level. You're not like, well, just do it because I said so, because you're the kid and I'm the adult. That's not teaching your kid good communication. Having open discussions with them where they feel like they can come to you and, and with their address problems, even criticize the parent to some extent, like, you know, Hey, I noticed that you have been kind of hard on, you know, my brother and maybe you could, and, and Storm calls me on that. Sometimes she, she sometimes will be like, mom, I don't think you were fair to him. Mm-hmm. And I like that. She feels like she can come say that to me. Right. And then it immediately knocks me down and I'm like, well, shoot, you know, I'm sure she's right. And instead of having my swollen up ego, like, well, I'm the parent and I, you know, you just do what I say because I say so. Um, it makes you actually have to have to consider that. And, and so the communication is just, it's massive, but you have to work at it. You have to work at doing it and you have to work at teaching it to your children. But if you, if you do that, it's going to be just a, just a massive leg up in the world to be able to. Yeah. And the hope is that, you know, when your children get older, cause there's always probably things that you look back on your life and maybe you made mistakes, right? You, you, you made wrong choices in relationships or you, um, because you were never taught how to communicate appropriately, mm-hmm. you were never taught, you know, I think for when it comes to girls, there's a, there's so much of like, if you didn't have a dad around or your dad wasn't really present in your life or your dad wasn't really emotionally there for you, like the, the gals that I know that have really present fathers that are like really emotionally there for them, like they have really, I always, I always observe them as being very emotionally like better <laughs> Then girls, like in my case, I had two dads, but I had a stepdad and my birth father, you know, it was like, there was like a lot of stress in my life. And so how I got attention was I, you know, I always wanted male like approval. That was kind of what I do. And I see that a lot in girls because there's some genetic thing with women. Like we start really young and maybe Storm's not like this, but you know, I remember Paley and like kindergarten or like daycare she's talking about her boyfriend at the daycare and like you know girls start this thing very young I don't know what it is about boys and I don't know if it's instinctual or what it is but if there's not a strong male in the life that has a good emotional bond with that daughter and is teaching her you know like she has a lot of value and everything is not about like how pretty you are and like all the things that we've kind of been taught is that your tendency is going to go towards looking for evaluation somewhere. And, you know, as you get older as a woman, you know, it, it, it tends to be in relationship with other people. And so um, I've noticed that that's something that I would hope people would strive for, you know, when they have children is that they, 
if you're not providing the emotional security for one, and yes, there has to be discipline and there has to be order and you can't just have, you know, your, your children. That's part of the emotional security. It is. They have to have structure and discipline. It's part of what gives them that emotional security. Well, it teaches you like making decisions and the ethical, moral, like the realistic, like, consequences of whatever decision you make is that you've got to you've got to have some like consequence right and there has to be discipline and there has to be like you understand what's going to happen if you do this right whereas some people don't have that and they're just kind of like whatever like let's just see what happens what's the best way to teach anything it's to model it yourself right so the same with communication with all of that it's like if you're modeling have, you know, good communication, if you're modeling kindness, if you're modeling um, all these different things, the kids are going to pick up on it in their own way. And so, you know, in a way it's like, I I get caught in this, like, oh, you need to, you need to teach all this stuff. But oftentimes that doesn't actually have nearly as good effect as you would hope. It's more like if you're doing it yourself and that's why One of the big changes in my life after I had kids was realizing like, I don't, I can't be a mess anymore. I have to model the right thing for my child. And the, and the right thing isn't just like having the, having the job and the car and the house and, and the husband, the right thing is internal peace. It's being at ease with life. It's being kind and comfortable as, as a human being with your space in the universe. Like once you have all of that, everything else falls into place. And, you know, that is, was a big turning point in my life where I was like, this is as a parent. Now I have to actually be the best person that I can be to model this for my children. And, and not just my daughter, but my son, because it's so important, you know, boys have their whole own pro- issue with how they're raised and the sort of oh yeah, terrible behaviors that they develop based on all this stuff that boys have to be this way and, and, and modeling to them that like, Hey, your mother can be this strong, independent woman who can go do, do things and you, everyone can take care of. So that to me was just where it was like, okay, I have to get this figured out where as a, you know, you can go through life always kind of a mess, right? Just like, but I didn't want to be a mess for myself, for my children. And so that's where I think being so much more intentional with your life, with what you say, thinking before you say it, making sure you're not complaining. Um, You know, all the things that I laid out in that list, it's like, this is, this has to be the best me that I'm not just telling someone that they should be that way, but actually being that way so that my children and hopefully the other people around me are getting a a positive thing from their life as opposed to me just spewing out negativity and chaos with what I have here in the time that I'm on the planet. 
Yeah, and I think that comes to one of the points of your 10 points. You have self-evaluate daily. And this is where kind of I think all this kind of comes full circle. Again, back to you, back to where you want to be in your life and what, what like, you don't want to just walk, talk your talk, but you want to walk your talk. You know, you like you, you, you want your children to see that. And even as you get older and your children are going to grow up and they're going to like go have their own lives and they're going to have their own families. And like someday, you know, it's like kind of just going through this with my grandmother. It's like, you're going to die with hopefully a couple close people around you, but you're like die with yourself. Like, what mm-hmm. do you want to go into the next part of your life with knowing that you did? And are you going to have regrets? Are there things that you wish you had done and said to people that you just couldn't because you were so wrapped up in fear and kind of with this whole podcast, like going back to the very beginning mm-hmm. of fear is that most people don't communicate what they need because they're scared. I don't, they're scared of, a million different things, the monster in the closet, they're scared of what people are going to actually think about them. Or maybe they're scared of what people are going to respond to them with, right? Mm -hmm. Like, if I'm an intense person, if I actually, if somebody responds to me and says, you're an intense person, you need to chill out. If I take that personally, and I get pissed, and I get hurt, then that's not an option of growth for me. That's that's me not self-evaluating and not saying like, oh, maybe I am being like that, right? Like, I'll never change my ways. And I mean, maybe that's just the way I am. But at the same time, I can make that self-evaluation. And if I need to change something, then I can. But we're so afraid of whatever that boogie monster is that's going to get us and that's going to do something to us or you know maybe actually somebody might leave you somebody Mm -hmm. if you actually say what you think maybe it's not going to work out maybe the job's not going to work out maybe the relationship's not going to work out maybe maybe it's not what you really want with your life anyways and so it's not that's that's my belief is that if you can't be if you have assessed yourself to make sure that you're not just being an asshole <laughs> and you can't be your genuine self without the person in your life leaving that's not the person that you want in your life anyways so with that you go forward with a bold a bolder attitude of inviting people into your space not clinging, trying to hold people into your space. You know, I, in a relationship, like so many people just get, they, they either cling to the person and they're so fearful that that person will leave them. Or, you know, it, it, it's like, if that, if you have to fear that that person will leave you, you shouldn't needs to leave you. They need to not be in your life because all that it's bringing you is insecurity, constant insecurity that this person might leave me. This person might leave me. And then you also have to do the work on yourself of, of being okay to be by yourself. It's something that I learned, I think, when I was a military mm-hmm. spouse yeah. and I went through a lot of deployments with little kids 
And it gave me that time to sort of go, you know what? While it's harder, I actually can do this on my own. I know I can. And it will be harder, but in a way it was freeing to be like, I don't have to to cling to this thing that I think is going to make my life better. You know, you have to be able to take care of yourself in life. Women are in an extremely difficult position because almost always they end up, if they have children, they end up being the ones who are going to be the primary caregiver for the children. And there are, there are exceptions, of course, but that is most of the time that is the case. Mm -hmm. And so you put yourself in this incredibly vulnerable situation by having a child or multiple children that you're always going to be not only having to look out for yourself, but also having to look out for them. And it makes life harder. And so, so many women get stuck in that, like, a terrible relationship, but they're afraid to leave because they have these kids and how are they going to pay the bills and how are they going to deal with all the things that it takes with children? And it's this sort of trap that, that people fall into, but you're not going to model a good life for your children. If you're in a, a toxic relationship just because you think that that's what's best for them in the long run. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes we have to do harder, hard things. We have to put ourselves in hard situations in order to get, it's like, you know, the, the metaphor of climbing a mountain to be able to see, see over the other side or the view from the other side. It's hard. It's hard to do, but you have to get through that. You have to climb that mountain before you can see over the other side. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know where I'm going with all of that, but <laughs> I don't know where we're going with any of this. I know we're just all over we the could like literally place. talk for like eight hours. What's, what's one let's, of the other things that I read? Let's, <laughs> that let's I read um, <laughs> let's. I mean, we, no we complain. should do a series on this. Yes, look for the uh, good in others, not look the look for the good in right. others, not flawed. That's, that can also be very hard to do. Again, I think our brains we wire our brains for the negative, like the the watch out, the fear, the pessimistic, the negative. You know, have you ever have you ever met people that are so positive? Like when you meet them again, talking about people's energy, like you get around them and they're everything is so positive. Like it could be like the, literally like the wall is falling in and they're just like singing a song. Well, and, and sometimes that's kind of a downer for people who are a little less positive because you're like, well, I'm not like that. Yeah. And I personally am naturally a very cynical, skeptical person mm -hmm. who I'm not naturally a positive person. So I have to work hard to make positive thoughts about everything all the time. And I, I certainly don't, I certainly don't think positively about everything all the time. Um, but it, it takes work. Some people seem to be naturally a little more positive than others, but it takes that work. It takes introspection. It takes going, what do I really want to put out in the world or how draining am I to other people to be around? If I'm just like this, this, you know, and if you're always looking for the flaws in other people, you're going straight to that negative spot in your brain, right? You know, and it's it's 
it's all insecurity. It's your own insecurities because when you're good with your own life, like you're usually good with other people too. Mm-hmm. And, and always reminding myself, myself of that, of it's like, why am I judging this person? They're, you know, I'm different than them. I've had a different life from them. And always, it's sort of like catching yourself, not complaining, catching yourself, not judging, not judging and actually trying to see like, that person may have an abrasive personality. They may be somebody that I don't want to spend all of my time with, but you know what? They may also be the person who's going to show up. We live in a backwoods place where neighbors are far apart. They might be the person who's going to show up and dig my car out of the ditch or, you know, be the first person who's going to be there to actually help me, even though I've judged the crap out of them and been like, I don't like that person or I don't, you know, said a bunch of things in my head about how. And so that's that humbling yourself a little bit and and remembering that people can have surprising value to yourself and to others that sometimes you don't see at first and to just take a step back from that immediate judging and try to see something good, something good about them. Everyone has something that's going to be good about them. I've known, we used to have a neighbor who was one of the grumpiest old men. He was so grumpy and scary. And you were just like, Oh, (laughs) he loved animals. He was so kind Mm. to animals. And that was his thing. Like he, he wasn't a people person, but after kind of giving him that space of like, okay, this is how he is as a person, I came to really appreciate that he was a very kind person to animals. And, you know, that was that he's not just a horrible, grumpy person. He has this other side of him that, um, and you don't always see, you don't always see those good sides in people right away. Yeah, especially for people that are going to be like, you know, the non-people person, you know, they're they either a few things they either don't really care what you think about them and so they're not going to be you, you know you, you like waiting around for getting them to act a certain way is kind of going to be futile for you um because they're not there to you know make you happy and uh make it comfortable for you and they also tend to be maybe more introverted and just not you know that's not their cup of tea and that's the other thing is like communication like you don't want everybody communicating like you, right? Like we need all types of people and all types of dispositions and we need all points of view, you know? Well, that's how you grow in your own, you know, and, and the way you are has to be challenged to some extent too, to, to make sure that you're even on the right track. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Everybody is different. I guess that would be so not, and, and, you know, look for the good in others, even if they can drive you crazy. Um, Yeah, because it is going to make you feel better inside too, because instead of having that negative thought, just like you're having a negative thought when you're complaining a negative thought about how somebody is, you're flipping it around to a positive thought. And it's, it's never going to do you any harm. It's always going to make your life better. If you positive spin on, on that stuff. And you know, most of the time it's probably true. There probably is something good about that person. What about be brave? You have that here. I think that's kind of the motto of the whole thing is fear will get you and it's easy to fall into that trap, right? 
and a lot of times we have to do things we're fearful of. I mean, nobody, I just even think about like just my education. I don't think I'd ever do it again. But back then it was like, that's what you do. And it was scary as all get out. And it was exhausting. Like, I don't even know how I got through it. Like I literally, it's like a different lifetime ago. Like, how did I do that? How did I have the patience and the like brain power? I mean, I didn't have kids back then. I was, you know, in my late twenties, early thirties, I felt pretty young. Um, how did I get through all that? How did I, how did I get here? How did I get doctor in front of my name? How did I do all these things? (laughs) It's crazy sometimes to think about, right? And even now what I've succeeded at that, there's still so many things I want to do that I feel like I, I really got to push myself to do it. You know, I got to be brave. I got to get out of my comfort zone. I've, I've got to like push through the optical, the obstacles that I'll make in my head or that I'll put in front of myself that sometimes they're justifiable. Sometimes they aren't justifiable, but like pushing. And I guess for me, like change is kind of my thing. So I'm more comfortable in turmoil a little bit. I'm more comfortable in that, but the bravery is like, that takes conviction. Like that actually is action. Like you have to take action and be brave to do whatever it is you're going to do. But, um, well, and it's usually the harder road, you know, be taking the easy road generally means you're not being brave. You have to take the rougher road. that's going to get you out of your comfort zone. And, um, Sometimes it may be leaving a relationship or making a move um, to a new place, doing something that you've always thought. So many people get that like, oh, I wish I could do that. Mm-hmm. Or that it must be nice. It must be nice that you're a doctor. And I just look at people like, <laughs> <laughs> let's break that down a little bit. Okay. It must be nice. Let me tell you, I would be a stay-at-home mom in the flick of a wrist because it must be nice to be a doctor and to have the debt I have and to have the information, you know what I mean? To have the stress that I have. Like I could go negative on all that. Complaining to you all day long. (laughs) It must be nice. (laughs) But you know what? You're right. It is nice because one, I was born here at this time in history. I don't know. Have you ever watched Downton Abbey? I don't know if you like that. Uh, I love Downton Abbey. Downton Abbey was my sick. I've watched all of them Uh, years ago. I started from the very beginning, you know, the day the Titanic sank that. It's like, go back and watch something like that. That was just, that was like a hundred years ago. Okay. Uh, Not like, not much older than my grandmother who just died. Like that's literally what women were living under. Like, you were either a servant or you were a rich girl who was basically being told who you were going to marry, where you didn't even get to inherit money. Like it's, it's crazy to watch that. And when I hear people say, Oh, it must be nice to be a doctor. I'm like, it is so nice to be a doctor. It is good. I was born when I was, um, I for sure would have been burned at the stake. I would have for sure been that girl, the youngest daughter in Downton Abbey, where she married the poor Irish guy and like went off and stood on a soapbox and fought for women's rights and the ability to vote and like all that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? And I, yeah, I, I think back. So it is nice that I have these privileges. And, um, also we just help 
brings some families from Afghanistan, uh, a, um, David Pham, who was a Marine over there. And we did a podcast with him and we got helped get his interpreters and his family over mm-hmm. here and a couple other families as well, brothers in arms there. And, you know, this family, they're now in Fort Worth and he's got three daughters, you know, and we helped get enough money to get these people to get out of the refugee camps and to get into an apartment and to get a van so he could get a job. And I mean, all the mother wanted was a, a sewing machine so she could sew clothes for her girls. And I see these little girls now that live in the United States. After They grew up in war, literally grew up in war, right? Like not trusting people, not like in the Taliban coming in and they escaped that. And they're here now. And I think to myself, like, hopefully those girls know their value. Like, hopefully they're going to learn their value and know that this is a miracle that they were able to, the community, people cared about them, whatever. They were able to get out of there. They can get here now. But there's millions of girls that don't have that option and aren't going to have that option. And so, yeah, it's great that I got all these options and that I took full advantage of them. And I went forward with it and I did it because I owe it to all those millions of girls who don't get to do that. I owe it to them to do it. (laughs) So to me, in a positive light, I look at it like I am so blessed. Doesn't mean I didn't have to be brave and work my ass off for it, but turn it into a blessing. And, um, you know, there's negative things about it that you can take through life. But I think that I feel pretty, pretty privileged in what I've been able to do and that I have the brain I have and that I have the ability to do these things. So, yeah, I think that we, you know, with all the complaining about everything these days, oh, I think that we live in the best time here in this country, the United States, we live in the best time in history for the human race. I mean, we have, our biggest set of problems is that we don't have enough problems realistically. You know, it's, our problems are so, so petty anymore. When you weigh them against your children starving because, you know, just a, like you said, a hundred years ago here, we have all these old homesteads scattered up in the woods where there's just these remnants, old foundations, and there's a couple apple trees and a couple rhubarb plants in a lilac bush or two. And that's it. That's all that's left. There was no plastic. So there's just a some a little bit of old wood, a few old logs, some foundations. And those families a hundred years ago had to put up enough food to survive the winters here. And you know, one bad winter that's yeah. a little bit longer than you anticipated, or there's just not quite enough game or something. And, you know, you're legitimately faced with starvation. And so to just weigh how far we've come in that amount of time where now, you know, we've, it's like with so many things, the scales tip too far, you know, now we struggle with too much obesity, um, where, where not that long ago, it was like struggling to have enough food. And so I'm hoping that, you know, at some point the scales will, will come back into, into the middle a little bit with that stuff. Mm. But ultimately to be a female alive today, while there's still work to be done, um, such a different world for us. And the fact that my daughter, you know, there aren't that many limits on what she actually can do these days stuff is, is it's, it's amazing. And I'm so grateful for that. 
Well, when I talk to people about their health, you know, we do see a lot of these diseases of excess. I mean, that's just common today. Um, even in, in all, um, in all like monetary levels. So whether you're super rich or you're super poor today, we kind of seeing the same diseases. Whereas back like in the day of Down Abbey or even before then, the, it was the rich people that were the sickest with these kinds of diseases because they were not exercising a lot. Everything was done for them. They were getting lots of white sugar and white flour. They were getting all the expensive food that was considered yeah. yummy and delicious that the peasants and the farmers, they were eating the whole real food. They were not uh, able to afford white sugar. Um, really, the advent of white sugar and white flour, these are very kind of new modern things since the slave trade started. So if you but they were mainly feeding that to the royalty. So the royalty were dealing with cardiovascular disease, diabetes, gout, um, uh. you know, all these brain disorders, like neurological diseases, things that are basically diseases of excess. Um, of course, they were dying from disease and, you know, poor, poor living conditions and, uh, you know, if your kids lived to be past five, you were pretty lucky kind of thing, you know, the flu and yeah. that kind of stuff, because they lived in squalored conditions or they didn't have sanitation and clean food and clean water, let's say. But they weren't dying of these comorbidity diseases where they were having excess. And now, no matter how rich you are, there people are dying from the same thing. And so this is where the diet and the food and Everything has really, really changed in such a quick amount of time that you've got so many people now that are right. on this super easy, cheap, you know, calorie deficient or nutrient deficient diet. And now we're all kind of in the same boat. And so, yeah. um, and I think that was one of the things that I had on my list is uh, eat real food mm -hmm. as one of the sort of 10 foundational <laughs> I will things. tell my patients eat like a poor person, which means just eat like grow a garden and go hunt your food like that's yeah. what poor of course people not do. everybody can do no but you could go buy like some decent meat and not eat at mcdonald's every meal and you could like buy some lettuce and you could you know what i mean like you can um, everyone can pretty so much do that unless you live in a common food for desert. me when i post stuff you know i had an organic farm i was really passionate about that about about whole food and and good good meat and all of that but it's common for me if I write anything about it, there's always the the what about people, right? Who are like, well, what about all the poor people in, you know, the inner city who live in a food desert and don't have access to all this stuff? And it's like, yes, I understand that that is a, that is a problem. It's different. But for most of us, most of you people reading this post that I put up, you're not that person you can go make changes in your, in your life. So initially it's directed at you person who is saying, but what about the poor people? You know, now for the also then saying that poor people are not smart enough or capable. brave enough or resilient enough to go change their yeah. life and to buy healthy food. Exactly. So almost and like insulting poor people. <laughs> it it's like poor people can make decisions just like we can. They either well, eat it, it can be a, or they don't, you know, I mean, if you're starving. I mean, the food desert thing is real. There are a lot. And, and it, I see it actually even out here. In we have some them in Montana. 
the Go really rural Montana areas, literally, right? there's like convenience stores. I'm not even yeah. kidding. That's where and, people buy their there's, groceries. There's a lot of people who don't Indian have driver's reservations. Yeah. They're old. They can't get to town. Yep. They, you know, have whatever their driver's license is taking away. So they're relying, they're basically buying their groceries from a convenience store. Yeah. So that's, that is the what people. Okay. Not everybody has the option to go to whole foods and buy whatever wonderful organic free range stuff that they want. I get that. But for most people you can. And the other thing is even those people can make choices in what they buy. You can buy a bag, you know, a 20 pound bag of beans or rice or you know, potatoes, things like that, and actually take a little bit of time to cook it as opposed to buying just all the package processed stuff. And, um, you know, it's not that big of a change. And honestly, it's probably significantly cheaper um, if you're buying whole that instead of buying the prepackaged stuff. Yeah, I... I think that there's definitely options and there's lots of poor cultures around the world. Like I said, they're eating healthier than the people that have money because they don't have the resources to go out and to buy fancy dinners and to eat out every meal. They have to buy the big bag of rice and they have to buy the big bag of beans. And you know what I mean? They, they buy the crappy looking vegetables at the market and they taste well, the same. And, and like, this are, is what they eat. Frozen vegetables. Are, that's another great, inexpensive way to get vegetables yeah, into your diet. Yeah. Frozen vegetables are in every grocery store. If you mm-hmm. can't get good fresh ones, you get frozen ones. And they yeah. actually seal in nutrients. And I mean, you could. Yeah, it certainly, uh, certainly an option. Yeah. And most people have refrigeration now. That's another thing that mm-hmm. our ancestors didn't have. They had yeah. ice boxes. They had. I don't know, like, you know, they didn't. So even people today have refrigeration, which is huge. And that helps with the ability to keep food and to be able to shop and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, we could go on and on about this, but obviously eat real food. That's like a no. And that's it. I think, like I said, it's not necessarily about what diet you're on or you, you know, everybody's got their different ideas, whether you should eat, be on a carnivore diet, and eat nothing but eat meat or be a vegan and eat, you know, no animal products or be a be paleo or, or all of that stuff. If you just forget all of it and you just focus on eating real food that's not processed, you're going to be healthier. Yep. Yep. Totally. All right, let's see. I think we have, oh my gosh. What's the other one here? Um, be flexible. Things like be, be flexible, do a lot of yoga. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, that too. <laughs> I need to do more of that. I've been having a hard time getting on my horse lately in snow pants. Oh, so definitely yeah. be flexible in your, in your body, but also be flexible in your mind, which is what was written for. And I wrote a little saying that I don't know who said it, but I love it. It's um, blessed are the flexible for they will not be bent out of shape. Oh, that's awesome. Love that. And that is sort of the driving behind that of, of don't be bent out of shape. That's the, the taking, taking offense at everything or being, 
angry or put out by all this stuff. And that is another one of those just negative things that makes your life a little bit worse if you're always rich about everything that comes at you and be flexible, be translucent, let it go, let it move past you and carry on and, and adapt, adapt and, and overcome to things, you know, there's big changes. And if you're not flexible about them, they're going to cause more problems for you. Yeah. I think too, there's sometimes too, you just need to take a break and have some time to yourself and just like take a break from things. You know, sometimes flexibility also means like you don't have to be on all the time. Like you, you, you can sometimes ask for a break and take it. Whether that means sleeping in a separate bedroom and getting some space to yourself for a couple nights or whether that means, you know, taking half the day and going to the spa or just going to a coffee shop and like just being around yourself, you know, or maybe it's getting counseling every week, you know, like you, it's, it's okay to take a break, to get some space, to think things through and um, be flexible enough with yourself to realize that, you know, you, you can't just keep like grinding all the time and f- be a functional, like happy person. You need to have some space and some quiet time. And that's what I feel like. We're so lucky. Like we live in places like I get a lot of quiet. I mean, if I want it and mm. I do live in a quiet place, like I can walk outside walk for 10 miles if I want. It's quiet. There's nobody around. So a lot of people live in environments where they're just constantly stimulated. Yeah. Don't get any off time, you know? Um, And I would say like, do that more. And I think that calms, will calm you down a little bit and help you just get a breather, you know, Um, because people work hard. Like we all make sure that you are getting enough sleep. That's such a, fundamental thing right if you're not getting enough sleep then everything in life is gonna suffer from it yeah I I 100% agree I can tell you like one or two nights of no sleep um it'll just wreck me I'm I am like you don't want to be around me yeah I am the worst person because sleep I spent two decades not sleeping very good and then I just it's so important to me now and it's like night or day how I feel it's amazing yeah. my, old, my youngest daughter was sick at the beginning of this month she was sick and I spent a full week of not sleeping at night because you know the kids get the creepy cough at night and yeah. you gotta be up all night with them while they sit in the shower and like you're yeah. and you're like Ugh. and then I had to work all day from home so I still had to work but then I was up all night with my kid and like two or three nights of that in a row I was just like I vibrated like my body felt horrible and I realized like, geez, I just cannot go without sleep. Like, yeah, this is not my jam anymore. Like I cannot do that. Yeah. Um, I have to prioritize it above just about anything else in my life, because if I don't get enough, it, it just throws off everything. It's what, you know, it's like, what, why am I in a bad mood today? Why am I, why am I snapping at my kids and my husband? Because I haven't gotten enough sleep and it just throws off everything for you. So that's, you know, and things like um, decision-making with how healthy you're going to eat or something. I know for me, if I haven't gotten enough sleep, three o'clock rolls around and I'm like looking for a bag of potato chips or something, you know, normally I would eat great. And then I get one bad day where I don't sleep good. And I feel like I want 
to eat all of the junk that was Carbs ever and grease and yeah and mm-hmm. and it's such an interesting thing of how severely it affects our body yeah we have a weird culture around sleep and i just um i obviously it's not healthy i mean what is healthy for one person is maybe healthy for another person but the culture around sleep is really interesting and definitely for women and men it's different as well you know like the the needs of sleep are very different for the different sexes and i think women we get so used to sleep deprivation because of kids like yeah i only had two kids you go for six like years apart there's some women literally two decades of babies and like not uh, sleeping at all and then you got teenagers and you're asleep at night so like women become so chronically sleep deprived and you know women are spending most of the healthcare dollar they're coming in with the kids they're coming into the doctor more than their partners are for sure mm -hmm. and a lot of it is they just one they don't get enough time to themselves they're not doing a lot of the things they're doing for everybody else they're not you know, they're not, and they're just not sleeping. And insomnia is like, whenever I see a chief complaint, like on a intake, when, you know, a new patient comes in, it's like, I've tried everything. I've done everything and I can't sleep. It's just like, Oh God. Cause you know, it's such a big problem and it's so different for everybody, but women need, our brains need sleep. Ladies, like your brain is doing this crazy talk all day long in between both hemispheres that men don't do. Sorry, guys. They just don't yeah. do the same intensity, frequency, and level of communication that women do. And um, I think this is one of the things that happens when menopause hits is why there's a, such a huge emotional change for a lot of women is because estrogen, we lose that estrogen. And the brain is so wired for estrogen and testosterone in both men and women, but women because we have so much estrogen. And when we lose that estrogen, the brain's like not getting the <laughs> like all this crazy stuff. So women kind of chill out a little bit at menopause. You know, they might have hot flashes and they go through all this stuff, but they tend to kind of emotionally and mentally a little bit. They either figure out what they really want. They make decisions. They become a little bit more like a man. They are a little, they're like not trying to push themselves all the time. Right. They're not trying to do 60 things at once. Um, and so that's, that's what estrogen does though. And our brain is so, it's actually bigger than a man's and our corpus callosum is bigger. And so we just are constantly having those conversations in our head all the time. And um, I just tell women like, you got to prioritize, prioritize sleep. It's going to help you a whole lot with a lot of your problems. But A lot of, like, you know, think about how people used to sleep before we had electricity. Oh, yeah. When it got dark, you know, right now up here, we're, the days are just starting to get a little bit longer, but you know, four o'clock and it's pretty much dark. Yep. And maybe you would light candles or kerosene lanterns for a little while later, but then you go to bed because, and then you're sleeping really extended period of time. Hours. That's yeah. why I feel like winter is meant to really be this rest period mm-hmm. with the long days. And, you know, now we don't, we crank on all the lights we are looking at phones and iPads and everything else. We're staying up late, have the TV on. You don't go to bed till 10, 11, 12 at night. Then you get up at four or five. You know, it's such a, such a different world than how we actually are supposed to sleep. And I grew up with um, kerosene lanterns off the grid. 
And so I, re- I totally remember that. I remember as a kid, that you would light the lantern, you know, I would carry the lantern to bed with me at, at whatever time, you know, have dinner, stay up for a little while, maybe playing a board game or something, then carry the lantern to bed with me, read for a little while and then go to sleep. You don't, you don't burn lanterns and candles and things like that, even remotely the amount of time that you would burn just an electric light. And so, you know, I had the fortune of growing up with that sort of kind of understanding the circadian rhythm a little bit more. And I think that, um, gosh, if there's any way that, I mean, now that electricity and all the, the things are invented, I don't know any way to get back from that, but it sure is a thing to try to remind ourselves that we're not meant to stay up so late get up so early if it's still dark outside oh yeah I mean when you live in the north you know it's like your body clock becomes very acutely aware of of timing you know maybe if you live on the equator you become aware of that too but you you know it's kind of more consistent um or you live Hawaii or somewhere like that where everything is kind of consistent there's not a whole lot of extreme changes yeah and here it's like you know, if you're a student of anything related to healthcare, like Chinese medicine, Ayurvedic medicine, all these different cultures, I mean, everything is a season and everything is a time. And like winter is hibernation. It's the yin time. It's the quiet time. You know, it's when you hibernate. It's when you don't eat cold food it's when you eat warm nutritious you know nutrient dense foods and you go to sleep early and you're in the dark more and you meditate more and you become and then you know summer is very yang and extroverted and you're outside a lot and you get a lot done it's when farmers are planting everything and growing crops and you know every everything was like a lot of energy because the sun's out longer and so you live on this cycle and then spring and fall they have their place they prepare you for those two kind of deep immersions into uh extroversion introversion and we just don't um honor those things anymore because we have light and we have the access to it's kind of like having bananas in montana in the summer in the winter time it's kind of silly mm-hmm. actually every time i eat a banana i'm just like yeah. this seems strange <laughs> that i'm eating a banana in january yeah. you know but it's yeah. kind of the same thing with electric lights and computers and all this stuff that mm-hmm. we have is that um and that's the one thing so when we moved into this neighborhood there was property all around us and it was pitch black at night that's the one thing i noticed when i moved here from the city even though we lived on a little a little piece of plot, but we had houses around us, right? People have their porch lights on. Like, why do people have to have 16 porch lights on? I've never understood. You know what I mean? So we moved here. It was pitch black at night. It was amazing. I could go to bed with, like, my windows open, and it was like, you just see stars. Probably, yeah. like, where you live. Yeah. Well, now, since COVID, we've been inundated with people. All the property's been bought up. They've bought, they built seven houses around us <clears throat> since COVID. And wow. the dude across the street just built a house, and he has floodlights for oh. his dogs or something. So in the middle of the night, his dogs will go outside or something, and he's got two ginormous floodlights that come on. And it's like someone is shining, and he is probably two acres away from us. So he's not right next to us. It's like someone shining a light in my bedroom at four in the morning. 
Yeah. And I'm just like, why do we need all this light? Like, it's so frustrating to me. I like dark. Like my kids, I've trained my kids to sleep in pitch black dark. Like they don't even like, you know, little lights on or any of that kind of stuff. And uh, yeah, we just got so accustomed to having light everywhere. And uh, yeah, it's funny now how people feel the need to, to, to just light up every space. And again, I mean, I think it's a, it's fear. It's like, something's out there. Something's gonna sneak up on you somehow. If everything, <laughs> it's going to be know. me with my, yeah. breaking <laughs> your, breaking your floodlights. Sorry. <laughs> no, thought out and put those floodlights out. <laughs> oh, that, that just, I, I just remember moving here. It was so dark and beautiful at night. Yeah. And now it's like, but in the summertime you know it's light out till 11 o'clock at night and um you get a lot done and yeah in the winter you just hibernate and I love it I love Christmas and this time of year and it gets dark at five I actually like it because it's like, I time to go ahead. I, have like <laughs> as a family we read and we do board games and we do so much more stuff than in the summer we're just all out until yeah. a ridiculous time and then you know so this is a great time well, Iris, I think we've talked for two hours now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I really would like to do this more often. I think yeah, that, um, I've had yeah. an idea. I've actually had an idea and it was brought up to me by another listener of ours. They live in Colorado and um, they've become friends of ours. But, you know, the podcast format is kind of, it's, it's so amazing to do podcasts, but it can be hard to stay consistent when you have yeah. like, jobs and lives and kids and all that. Yeah. And uh, we had this friend make a recommendation. He said, you know, I don't think I could do a podcast every week, but I could maybe do one podcast a month or I could do a podcast every six weeks. And, you know, they're into food and climbing and faith and like all this stuff. And, and I, I was, he was like, maybe you should just have people that have great information that don't want to start their own podcast, but maybe they want to come on a podcast and they want to share information and do this kind of thing. So I don't know, you were kind of on my list as one of those people when I was brainstorming that, because I think you have such valuable information and I love your Instagram and I've always loved like your posts and just how you think and how you write and probably because I am so intense and extroverted, I'm more attracted to a little bit calmer people that seem to have that little more um, introverted, you know, uh, uh, yeah. thinking about them. And so this is just something to think about. Well, yeah, thank you for thinking about me. I definitely could probably be interested in doing something like that. Okay, so just tell people where they can get a hold of you, like yeah. your Insta and all that. Pretty much, pretty much Instagram is where I'm at. It's all the wild places on Instagram. And uh, I do also have a YouTube channel. Sometimes I put up some videos of um, the horses and the animals and what's going on around here. And that's just under Iris Gardner on YouTube. Oh, cool. Okay. Um. So yeah, no. those are- I love your little place and I live vicariously through you now because I don't live in Washington. I live yeah. out in cabbage country out in the desert, the high plains. Yeah, you live too the- far east in Montana. Oh, I just miss <laughs> like, I'll and- see your orchard and I'll see like just your season is so much longer than ours still even. And I just yeah. like Ryan and I definitely, that is what we miss. Like we miss the the air and the soil and uh what we had there so it's definitely different here yeah but, um 
you know, trade-offs, I guess. So. Yeah, everything has its pluses and minuses. I only have a few lights shining in my bedroom window yeah. instead of yeah. a bunch of them. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, okay, well, I'm going to let you go Great have your day. You, Hillary. you too, and, tell the family uh, hi. Yeah, and... for having me on, and we'll talk again. Okay, bye, Iris. Appreciate bye. you. You too.